Hello and welcome to Into Your Life podcast. I'm Lenka and I'm joined here by my wonderful co-host Natalie. Hi, we invite you to join our weekly conversations about finding more life in one's life. Well, what does it actually mean? We have discussions with guests about ways to live happier, healthier and more fulfilling lives, both personally and professionally. That sounds great. Let's go. Welcome, everyone. And I'm excited for today's guest. Today, we have Robert Fisher, one part of a wonderful company, Hawk and Heath. And we will be talking about forest bathing. And I could go on a tangent about forests and nature and outdoors and all of that. But if you're listening to the podcast, you know that this is a big topic for us. You know, it's a big topic for me. And today is not about me. Today, it's about Robert. So welcome, Robert. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for inviting me. It's lovely. I've been really excited, actually, today to come in and have a chat. Um, well, You've any opportunity. Guys, to come on for about, I think, a year since oh. I started having conversation with Alexandra to come on. And she's like, well, yeah. we're doing this app and we're doing this book and we're doing this, this. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. It's finally. You've, having... you've actually diverted me from my book. <laughs> I've got, it's the tricky chapter too, honestly. <laughs> the other chapters are fine. There's this really tricky chapter too, all about setting intentions and how to do that based around forest bathing because that's not part of forest bathing. it's something we feel is really really important the more business people we worked with this idea of their brain is racing at the point when they arrive so we thought how are we going to slow people down because those of us that love nature know being within it and being slow and being mindful and being we, we get it. But if you come out of Leeds, come out of Birmingham or come out of and you walk into Sutton Park where we've run things with uh, several charities down near Sutton Coldfield, they are there and they're just buzzing, buzzing, talking, buzzing, really worried about what am I going to do next and what, oh, I suppose we've got to go and do this, have we? Go and talk to a tree. Do you want me to hug a tree? Do I need swimming co costume on? Yeah, all of that. And then it's that how do you slow and stop? Stop being the, like a spaniel, I would call it, and actually be that quiet, gentle person. So chapter two is all about how to trigger being calm and being focused and being aware of what's around you when it's the last thing, most ambitious, dynamic, busy, People who, who love what they're doing, they love their job, they love their business, they love what they go and they love their, you know, getting in nine to five and working. They enjoy it. It's fab. It's great. It's stressful. It's difficult. I've got so much to do. And then suddenly I'm saying, would you mind slowing down? How do you take a child who wants to run at 100 miles an hour to actually slow and be gentle and calm? We run lots of um, thing, different sessions with people in the scouts and cubs and well yeah you take out five 25 um sort of brownies or um cubs and yeah they they want to zip round they want to climb a tree they want to but actually they get mental health children get mental health totally and you say this is all about mental health so just do what we're saying comes from japan let's try it and 
that's brilliant and fab. So yeah, we have much need to forest bathe ourselves in order to keep us calm and focused in on our business development. So confidence hasn't been the issue. <laughs> it's knowing how to connect and the marketing and there are other elements, aren't they, to a business where it suddenly it goes beyond the you and your thing you love. It's into suddenly, oh, gosh, we've got to work out what's the right price. We've got to work out how, how this and how that works. And all of these are little stresses. And then what's funny is we can sit and go, well, we've had a real bit me meeting about that. And that's been really difficult because this is new, a completely new way. I mean, we've been teachers for, well, I've been a teacher for 30 something years, different capacities and different schools. And Ali worked in sort of countryside management, then went to do sort of outdoor education, then came into schools as a teacher. So we all done all this. Yeah, we, we can teach you anything train you to do things and explain things and draw on science and bring that all in it's incredibly difficult to suddenly then adapt that into a completely different framework so i haven't got a head teacher and a deputy head telling me what to do i haven't got plans and it's all that suddenly i've got to work out how to connect with ceos or hr managers well-being coaches it's a much suddenly a very very different so yes we have been dynamic for the last 12 months and yes we do need to spend some time focusing in now which is lovely why well, it's lovely to come on a nice podcast and chat so. so we've got a we've got a idea of the sort of behind the scenes like you said with the children and everything so what is it what is it that you do we've got we know there's a book we know there's 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 pdfs so what is what is it that you do what is forest bathing and how did this idea start for you mm. how did you this how did you come about and creating this space this place and teaching people about forest bathing well we started off at, i was robert fisher and i taught horticulture and um, outdoor education and my boss at the time was Ali and Ali Foster was my my sort of boss my immediate boss and we would sit and plan what we were doing and um, we were then money was beginning to arrive into school to do more and more outdoor education and we were sent off we headed off to Bolling Park in Bradford to meet someone called Lily Horseman She's amazing, head of Forest School Association, Forest School trainer, um, and very keen on mental health and physical health of children. And so absolutely superb. So we have amazing conversations. We walked in on the very first day and we all sat down, as you would, nice horseshoe, all sat there inside a lovely little hut in Bradford Council, nice cafe next door beautiful space and there was a phone call and Paul who was sat two chairs down stood up walked out the room and went oh I'm really sorry you know this Chinese virus thing it's arrived at my school I've got to go no one sat on that chair it was just there spare for the rest of the time our first contact with Covid and this was months before we all then had all the 
you know, we went, we came back and obviously post Christmas or, you know, all, all lockdowns, etc. So we began, to, I began to do primarily forest bathing within, sorry, forest school within the school grounds with children that at the, at the time were primarily drawn from a special school, very autistic, often very, very aggressive um, triggers. If you, I mean, so yeah, if the wrong triggers were pushed, then suddenly there, there we were, it could be quite aggressive and violent. And I would take whole groups out where people are going, well, how can you take them out? They're really, you know, dynamic. And I think, well, we'll, we'll see what happens. And what happened? They'd be sat there. They would light fires. They would use knives and use sorts, all sorts of things. I was told, don't, don't, don't now. Don't. And they were calm. They were focused. And it was extraordinary. And I would sit there going, I wonder why. What, why was that happening? It's all right saying, we all know, isn't it? Going out into nature, very common sense, it's all going to be fun. But why? Actually, scientifically, what was going on for what we knew were generally very good, can be, they're wonderful kids, loved working with them. But if wrong thing happened, wrong time, sometimes unmanageable for us because it's things outside and the school, etc., could become very, very aggressive and angry and distressed why did that never happen when we were outside and that began a thought process of what were the causes were the real triggers of way what how was that because it just seemed to happen like boom you take them out they're, they're comfortable and that actually my younger son mark gave me a um this is right at the beginning comments at all they were saying that they're using this is a way of helping people's health and well-being. But can you see there, they're mentioning that being in nature washes out the or the, the phrase used by Dr. Chinley, a man who I've now spoken to and um, had lots of email exchanges with, who's this big man in forest bathing. What is forest bathing? What is Shinrin-yoku? And the point was he was saying that through the science behind Shinrin yoku and forest bathing, we can explain why the children you work with, and you'd go, Robert, I can tell you why. This is what is happening. When you absorb the chemicals, when you're absorbing the bacteria, when you're absorbing what you can see and feel in nature, there are chemical changes that are happening within those children. So when we were there working with children, we were working with young adults and teenagers, when we were working with people up to about the age of 20, you could see that that is what was happening. And it began to answer this question, why? Why this was happening? So it was that relationship between forest school, which you're doing with very young children, and then I would take kids out who were very, very young, very, and everyone, they'd scream and shout and run around. Actually, they wouldn't. They'd sit down, they'd watch, they'd listen, they'd be much more engaged. So we found we could create literacy, numeracy. Sorry, it is at school, so it's all about, unfortunately, leads into learning objectives. But we could set up programs of work where children that people did not believe could do things were then suddenly doing them because they were doing them outside. And this 
was the science behind forest bathing, this Japanese therapeutical technique that started by pure chance in the 1980s. And it was, they had a fantastic Zoom with four very, very people in the Japanese government, as was, and Dr. Chin Lee, where they literally just laughed. It was just something. We It just came, like, he said, it's like he walked into work with the health minister and said, oh, we'll just, let's send people outside out to, and see, does that make them feel better? And they just set up this whole thing. Shinrin-yoku is a made-up name. It's completely made up. It's never been there in Japanese until he said, well, we'll call it forest bathing or Shinrin-yoku, which is literally, it's natural, it's translation into English is forest bathing. Um, the sort of Shinrin means wood or forest, multiple meanings within Jap Japanese, the Japanese language. Every symbol has multiple meanings. So it's beautiful for poetry and gorgeous to look at. So fantastic art, beautiful in terms of its emotional power. So you have Shinrin, which is wood or uh, forest. And then bathing looks a little bit like a house with rain coming on it, because effectively it means to stand and receive, like having a shower. So you're showering yourself in the forest atmosphere, immersing yourself in it. We just thought it would do people good. So excellent. So um, Chin Li, doc, well, not yet doctor, came over from China, started his PhD, was coming along, went, what is this Shinrin Yoku? Can I have a look? Then just simply said, has anyone done any data collecting? Has anyone done any analysis of what's? And the answer was, well, no, it just works. So 20 years in Japan, most companies engage in forest bathing in some way or another, some more than others. Toyota, it's a Toyota, Sony, Fujitsu, uh, Mitsubishi, these are, they're really hot on it. Tokyo, Toyota, sorry, are now looking um, at to how to bring it within their industrial plants. They have it within their offices and everyone goes out. In the, the, the workers from the factories go out into woodlands regularly, but they actually want to bring them in. So how do we bring it? So they're saying in the, well, I know, conversation I was having, people were saying, well, Toyota found it quite easy to adapt office space, but now they want to look at how do you adapt factories. So it's very ingrained within um, Japanese society, but you would immediately think, oh, this is ancient and it's whatever. There are elements of it that are obviously, and they are in all the way throughout Europe and America too. We've had this tradition of, but they felt that with the urbanization, people had lost an element of that. And obviously Japan's very urbanized. Um, and they are um, beginning to now bring more green space into their urban cities because of the impacts of it. But what Dr. Chin Lee began to recognize is that there are structured practices, there are ways and means of bringing the impact quicker and in a more solid way. And he was dem he's demonstrated over, um, well, 
since 2012 was when they set up the Institute for Forest Medicine. So it's still very young science, really, if we think about what is clearly an ancient practice, that the science is, the science is trying to understand exactly what is happening. So we love it, we do it, but why? What is fundamentally happening? And that's kind of where Hawke and Heath started as a forest school. So we said, oh, we'll run forest schools at the weekends. We'll do them at school in school holidays and carry on um, working in schools in the meantime. But that we suddenly looked and thought, once I trained as a forest bathing guide, that there's a message here that is actually fundamental to changing the way our society functions. That actually all of us from a very, very young age need to be taught when we're three when you arrive at reception you really ought to be shown how to forest bathe you should be shown and it's not the what happens is this natural trigger that even very very young children get immediately they get it and if you can nurture that thought of all oh, right so if i'm yeah so they get this concept of the you know the interconnections of trees and oh I need to be nice to treat. Yeah, you need to be nice to treat. Love them. Be kind to them. Lovely, because they they give you so much. And the science of what they give us, we've kind of known this for centuries. Humans have known this for centuries. But our disconnect into urban spaces, this techno-stress, as the Japanese termed it, for us, we talk about burnout, anxiety, depression, Um very high inflammation in our bodies, uh, low immune responses, um, issues with blood pressure, cardiovascular, um, and blood sugar. Blood sugar is my story. Um, I got suddenly, in all this time period, <laughs> suddenly told you're diabetic, and it was so bad, suddenly caught by a very random blood test. There was nothing nothing in how I felt, nothing in the way I was eating or um, my lifestyle. There was nothing. I, they went through my lifestyle and went, oh, not sure what how to change. Went through my duck, not sure what to change. But this, what had to change was what's on the wall behind me, forest bathing. Um, and I'm absolutely certain that's what's helped me. It's helped um, Ali, whose story is more depression and anxiety. And so within the Hawk and Heath company, we've more from, used to say, forest school, forest bathing. No, now we're forest bathing solely. Could we look a little bit into the neuroscience behind the science of, as you said, it's an ancient practice. It's something that I would say we all instinctively know that nature is good for us. We we're born in nature, our civilizations that have started in nature. But with this modern world, we are, as you said, urbanization, we're disconnecting from nature. And some people, they're easy, you tell them go out to nature and they will do it because they're like, sure, makes sense. And some people are like, well, I need a bit more. So could we look a little bit into what's actually happening to our bodies physiologically, um, you know, on the nervous system, why nature, why forest? And also you mentioned that there could be different modalities then to it. Oh. 
different systems, different, you know, practices within the concept of forest bathing to, you know, be it for younger, older people, healthy uh, people or people who are struggling with something. So could we look at some of the specifics, please? Naturally, where humans have come from, as you said, are these green environments. And obviously those green environments are slightly different throughout the world, or if you look in the UK, our green environments are very, very different. A lot of them now, unfortunately in the UK, but less so in lots of other countries, um, the ancient woodland has been removed. So we are now down to about 2% of our ancient woodland. So ancient woodland means woodlands that have largely been untouched for 400-ish years. That gets even more complex if you take a place like Yorkshire, where ancient woodlands were often then used um, for, you know, logged and used to then for the industri last industrial revolution. The reason you go through, you can see the coppicing that went on in order to be able to construct all of the, you know, bobbins, etc. So it is difficult to see exactly in the UK what you'd call ancient or pristine woodlands. But green spaces, and the key is green, that chlorophyll green. Now, we know that green um, varies greatly in colour. And if you go out now, this is the thing. I take people out in January. People would think our woodlands now are primarily brown. They're not. They're primarily green, even now. So you can go in now. And there are loads of holly, loads of ivy, loads of yew and conifers. So a good mixed woodland, that is what we're, lo we're looking for. But also when we look at the net, what I'll go on to describe is these scientifically shown and the natural neurosciences, we don't need to be thinking in terms of you've got to go to ancient woodlands. There's very little. Ancient pristine woodlands are extraordinarily rare in this country. That does not mean we don't get the benefits. We do. So if you go to Saltaire, which is near to us, we have Roberts Park. Lots of people will talk about Roberts Park. And when you walk in there, some, some I'm not exactly sure who it was, but they've sent tree hunters, plant hunters all over the world in the Victorian times. And they've gone, oh, bring us anything interesting you can find. So you go into Saltaire, you go into loads of British parks. There are extraordinary trees and shrubs and plants from all over the world. They are perfect to go to. So when we did forest, our forest school training, I said it was Bolling Park in Bradford. Bolling Park is huge. It is massive. It is full of some of the greatest trees. Honestly, I could take you to there. There is a tiny little space where there is a, a horseshoe where when it was planted, it must have been, we've got these wonderful conifers from all over the world. There must be 40 of them or so, and they planted them in a horseshoe. You could go there for half an hour a day and follow the different practices they have in Japan, which, and you will get all the all the benefits you need. So neurologically, physiologically, gain all of the benefits. And that comes through sniffing, touching, looking, observing. Yeah, getting your nose in and really sniffing the trunk, really sniff, squeezing and then sniffing the trees. And what was extraordinary, I took a group of Bradford Council 
workers for Better Place Bradford there. And they all arrived and they're all quite sober and quiet and all whatever. Within five minutes of all sniffing the different trees, they were all giggling because the phytoncides, these are the chemicals that trees, all plants, ivy, holly, you know, all plants. I'm assuming grass does, I think every plant does. Everyone, all plants produce phytoncides and they're all slightly different. Hence the essential oils and essential oils are all different. Um, and that's a wonderful rabbit hole to fall down in order to bring them home because you then sniff. And what are you doing? You're sniffing the phytoncides. You're sniffing what trees produce as part of their immune system. All those chem the chemicals that they are producing are fighting off what they perceive as possible threats for them themselves. What we now know is they communicate and they release it at different times. So I do wonder whether suddenly Robert brings a group in and we start sniffing one tree and that tree says, oh, got a bunch of weirdos all squeezing me and they start releasing even more because that's precisely what happens when deer come in and if they start eating it, the others produce more and more of those, all those different chemicals, which to the deer makes those trees then or those plants not taste as nice. So they then move on, hence the grazing plants move on grazing animals move on. So when we go in to sniff, of course, we are sniffing all of those and each one of them smells different. So they're ones you'll like and ones you won't like, but they are all having a big impact on your mind and on your body. And without two, a man, woman, and there were a couple of children, they were all giggling and laughing and smiling. They changed, they were suddenly gone from quite sober, quiet professional people into a bunch of giggly little schoolboys and schoolgirls having a great fun. Come and sniff this, come and sniff this one. I love That's my favorite. This is so the social element of forest bathing is what I love too. Although we would generally urge people to do it quite in quite a solitary way. They were very dynamic in there, but you're learning, you're learning and you're feeling and oh, and big impacts on things like anxiety and depression. In terms of depression, I've, I've, <laughs> I've got piled up here um, a big wadge of different, it's metadata in Japan where they've analyzed from all over the world different things. So it describes in there where they perceive that people that have suffered from depression who engage consistently in forest bathing are 50% like 50% less likely to have a recurrence and there is not a drug out there that will have that kind of an impact i think that's an extraordinary thing to better say they also have loads of different um research projects all over the world where people that require counseling and we all do at some stage in our lives if they do the counselling and forest bathing at the same time, the counsellors and the patient, the person that they're working with, they all say it works better because they're forest bathing at the same time. So while they're thinking, while they're talking, they're sniffing, they're absorbing. The green has a profound impact. Chlorophyll green has a profound impact on our mental well-being because it's a reminder of 
the ancient worlds that we came in. If you actually use green in and paint walls green and then put lots of plants in, it does the same thing. It's triggering. But you do need to have visited those places in order for the trigger to happen internally. But you go out, you sniff, you do it. So that green is profound. Um, the sniffing of the chemicals, but it's not just phytoncides. There's lots of other, the old friends hypothesis of being in nature. So the old friends hypothesis is this concept that phytoncides and the bacteria, the viruses, the fungi, you're absorbing them. A lot of them your body actually needs. A lot of them your body doesn't want. So the ones that you need, oh, brilliant, we'll use you, come in, you boost our immune system, you, you um, increase actually our sense of happiness, help us to deal with anxiety and depression. But the ones that you don't want, your body fires up your immune system. Um, that will also aid um, increases in things like um, cytokines to identify the inflammation. You go in, you deal with the issue, and then it shuts down. So one of the things that occurred really with COVID was this idea of cytokine storms. And they do happen and we all have them. We have them with flu, etc. So some of these very powerful um, viruses that attack us like flu, like COVID, um, what happens there is that your body keeps producing the cytokines because it is unaware you've dealt with the inflammation. Your body fights itself. Um, it's what was, again, um, again, it, obviously it's not pleasant to talk about that whole time period that we've gone through, but what was found is that people that forest bathe, people that spend a lot of time outside, some of you will, lots of people do it without knowing they're forest bathing. They're just out, they're calm, they sit, they look, they walk, that's, that's what it's all about. But what happens is that your body learns, to re it escalates your immune system, you will fight up what it is, and then it calms down. So you don't then get the cytokine storms. And generally, um, Professor Ming Kui from University of Illinois stated that what forest bathing does is delay death, which are wonderful. I very rarely quote that. But she said in particular, what's important to understand is cytokine storms are extraordinarily rare. They're not rare in the population. Generally, unfortunately, our urbanized population, it's not rare. But for people that forest bathe, it's incredibly rare. So psychologically, neurologically, it returns you to where we should be. UEA did a big meta-analysis what UEA found in their research is that forest bathing has a positive impact on them all. Scientifically, being in nature is really good for you, full stop. So what I'm hearing is, to simplify, summarize my understanding, it's big woodlands, ancient, pristine are the best. We not not all of us can find them. Any kind of a nature, be it our local park, be it a nearby little forest or anything that you can find. If there's nature, if there's plants all year round, go yeah. out, be present, sniff, touch, sit, 
observe. So I'm getting mindfulness meditation elements in there just to be surrounded, not on our phones, not talking to each other all the time. Just literally like kind of imagine like letting the forest wash the plants wash all over me. I think that's where the baby it's not like getting naked in a swimming suit and running around like a crazy fairy i never have um my answer to that is if that's really what you want to do i'm not going to stop you but i wouldn't advise it um there's all sorts of tips now aren't there i just say uh, you've got to be careful so you can can go as a family and you can make it dynamic you can make it enjoyable you can go out with your mates and sit around and have a laugh this please just get out um Yes, I accept the fact that if we notice the small things and really spend time with them, that that is, gives us that profound meditative advantage and it's really good. And that, yeah, But taking a kid out and sitting and staring at ivy leaves and wondering where the fairies live. And I, yeah, I'd, sorry, I love doing that. Um, <laughs> You know, let's make a bird's nest. Let's, you know, um, let's go and find a favourite tree. Favourite tree. A study found, this is the extraordinary things and the little things, and you read these and you go, no way. But you're so happy it's true. But if a child has a favourite tree, they are far less likely when they're a teenager to suffer from mental health um, issues. And that was a study in Denmark. Now, I look at that and go, I'm so pleased, isn't that fact? But just, and then and I was in um, a clothes shop in Lincoln, believe it or not, and this bloke looked at me and said, oh, my one and two-year-old, they both have favorite trees and they want to go and sit in there. So it's a good thing. I said, yeah, it's a brilliant thing. He said, I've got a favorite tree too. It's really good for you. So we have a whole things about favourite trees because you should have favourite trees. We, we call them the treasures, the things that matter to you. And sharing that with your children, sharing that with your local children, a teacher taking the class out. Yes, I know it's going to be dynamic. It's not going to be quiet. Um, but actually, the more we research, trees are quite noisy. I thought that everything makes noise. Um, I do a thing called finding your place. Um, we're very, very big mammals and we're really loud. Um, and we, everything's noisy. The way we breathe, it's noisy. The way our hearts and everything. Um, horses apparently can hear your heart and therefore analyse whether you're stressed or not stressed from about three to four metres away which is an extraordinary thing. So that's why you have to breathe carefully and lower your heart rate and be calm before walking towards a horse that you're about to ride. It will assume if you have got a very fast heart rate and you're breathing a bit quick, well, there's something to panic about. They're integrated to humans like dogs and are very integrated to us. They're very aware of our emotions. So we have to control them, which is why we talk a lot about breath and breathing Nasal breathe, please nasally breathe all the time. Natural movement, natural breath, breathing through our nose. We're, we are not an animal that should be breathing through our mouth. We drink, we speak, we eat through our mouth, we breathe through our nose. Um, nasal breathing, 
And that's when you absorb the chemicals, the bacteria, the fungi, the viruses in the woodlands or your park or by the canal bank, river bank. I think we con commented today, didn't we, Lenka, on somebody's had a big waterfall. And we were, how wonderful. Never quite sure with LinkedIn whether it's today or well, anyway, I commented on it today and saying how wonderful blue green is because it is and going to the beach and all of that and negative ions superb agitated water go near it breathe in the negative ions this is where you need to be breathing them in so the impact here isn't is not as positive breathe here talking about the the green and the the breathing i mean we are we've had a podcast uh, about breathing and we've read uh james nestor's book about breathing oh. so we yeah we get the breathing see the copy there <laughs> <laughs> but one thing i wanted to ask you and i've just been thinking about this is you've you mentioned the green the ancient woodlands and and green and i'm originally from south africa and africa is quite brown mm. so my question is, a lot of the trees can be very brown, especially if it hasn't rained in a while. And, yes, you can find the green in there. But what about things like um, the aloes or the cactus or, you know, the what do they call them, the succulents? We get a lot of that in Africa. They're, they're beautiful and they're green. Would that help or is does it have to be trees and then trying to find the right trying to find that green in the trees. It's just because you mentioned green as opposed to just the trees. Yeah, so I'm just trying other to countries think that, of, yeah. of sort of more the the people who are listening who are from Africa or from drier climates. And um I'm going back for a month next month, which I'm really excited about. And mm. there are green spaces, but they water them a lot. They actually have to really make sure that they water them so that they do are green. But what about out in nature? The the green doesn't happen so much. There is a lot of brown. What would you do then? Um, now, that is a really interesting question and one I've actually posed to, um, she, she's a wellbeing coach in South Africa. Her name's Hannah. Um, and I'm actually speaking to her on the 24th of January and she's put a variety of different people who suddenly joined me on LinkedIn. I was like, oh, are these different well-being coaches from all over Africa? And that is exactly the question I'm going to pose. And so all I can ever do is pose a question for a gap. Um, I must, I, I, for my personal perception, is that, Every single time I'm speaking to, um, let's say, Dr. Chin Lee in Japan, they they are they simply use this hesitation, which is, we've only really tested trees, and and it's it's really hard one because I'd I'd be say even here, so you go through and you say, oh, there's this, and I'd say, but you've got trees completely covered in ivy. The Woodland Trust will say to you, there's ivy, it's covering these trees. If you've got six to eight trees and they're all covered, it's probably the same ivy plant. So you've got very large ivy plant covering the trees. So you've got big bulk and they would describe its huge bulk, huge mass of leaf and leaf matter. Obviously, it's predominantly green, but in the winter, 
And it's also of age. So they said, we know we have ivies and because of the way they're growing, they're at least 400 years old. So all of those triggers are that it's age and it's bulk. You've got to have huge volume, big volume and age. And then you're getting enough phytoncides to absorb. Okay. So then I've asked other sort of simple questions. Well, then, but when you walk through the grassy meadows and Hannah would describe to me, said, oh, a huge percentage of the year around where she's living. Um, and I'm sorry, it's in South Africa and I, it's not Cape Town. It's a bit, but anyway, um, my geography of South Africa is limited. And she, but she was saying around where we are, there aren't a lot of trees, but what you've got are huge meadows and they're often full of wildflowers. And for the vast bulk of the year, they are predominant, they're predominantly green. She said, I know personally, we haven't got test the testing machines out there, but if I go and I go and sit in there, then I, I feel amazingly wonderful, happy, joyous, all of those giggly responses, all of that. So my instincts are, it's not just trees, it's not just plant. It is plants, it is more broad, it isn't just that, but it is related to chlorophyll. So I've then asked the question, right, so what happens when you live in countries where there is the predominance of brown? So I've flown into Chicago and you've looked at it and it is predominantly brown. There's the, there it is. It's all brown. So what happens then? Is, is that where in hunter-gatherer times they would have moved? So would, is that part of this process where in the past the hunter-gatherers, they moved, didn't they? So if you had a, if, if it was that dry season, well, on the whole, you didn't hang around then, did you? You moved. So I don't know. I don't know. And do you know what? That's that frontier of science where I might need a bit of confidence coach building here, but where you have to just go, well, hold on, wait a minute. We don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. So is this green? Is this, was that the trigger for, right, now let's move? Did we, that's what, was that the hunter-gatherer flow? Was that, if we looked at and, and analysed that, are we looking at the flow in the same way as you might now look at how, where, how do the animals are moving? How are the birds moving? Is this the triggers? And then that's that whole thing of, Oops, do we need to then rethink the whole issues of that? Like you say, you end up having to water a lot or what have you, or maybe that's the forest bathing indoors solution and et cetera. I would just say, be careful when sniffing a cactus. Yes. I would be incredibly careful. Um, but so I think that's that frontier world where it's wonderful that we, we can be in it. Because we often talk about the frontier as being like space or the whatever. But actually, do you know what? Around us, there are many, many adventure adventures we should be having to truly under the, understand the science of the world we should be living in. Or as Neil deGrasse said, it's far better, far quicker, far cheaper, far more moral to terraform the earth 
than it would be to terraform Mars so we can move there because we've destroyed the Earth. I also think that it's, it's you know, the different climates, different um, ways of living, there's different people. I mean, if you think about the deserts, you know, the Bedouin, they just go, they, they travel a lot. And it's it's about finding those oasis that they can mm. find. And yeah. but they can go for ages just sand. I mean, there's no green. At yeah. least in, in Africa, you can find the green, even if it's a blade of grass, but yeah. in the desert, it's brown. So it it will be interesting to see as as time goes by and you ask these questions, is is forest bathing more than just the green trees? Because it's come from Japan and obviously Japan has the green trees. Maybe if it had come from yeah. Egypt, it would be the, the beach sand that would be the forest bathing. But I would like to think, and this is just my personal opinion and just, just me, is having seen those trees in Africa, I mean, you get the baobab tree, which looks like, well, the, the 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 folklore is that God got angry and he pulled out the tree and he put it upside down because nobody was appreciating the leaves. And it does. It yeah. looks like a tree that has been turned upside, upside down. down. Yeah. But yeah. these trees, you can have 20 people holding hands, stretching around it, and you can't even get around these trees. I mean, they are ancient, and there's got to be something in, in that. And I think that any plant that gives you that that joy or calms you down or breathes in mm. something just being out in nature whether it's a desert or an ancient forest or by a, a waterfall or the seaside i think it can all give you different different things and that appreciation for for just slowing down breathing through your nose and just taking time to reconnect with being human but it will be interesting to know what answers you get and obviously i'm going to go around sniffing trees in south africa when i go back you need to i'll skip them. the cactus uh, i have i have had that experience with cactus and uh, yeah. you can eat them they're lovely <laughs> um but there was something popped into my mind i was in paris in a park and there was i believe they called it the cedar of Lem of Lebanon. But I feel that actually the tree isn't predominant predominantly in Lebanon. I think it's more in Libya. And it had the most extraordinary and powerful scent of any tree I've ever it, it, it was extraordinary. It's the most powerful scent. So maybe you may have fewer trees, but those trees that you go to have a stronger scent, stronger phyton sides, the stronger ones. So yew tree for yews in Britain have extraordinarily powerful phyton sides. If you sit underneath a yew tree for a couple of hours, there is the strong possibility that you'll hallucinate they're that powerful. They believe that's because that's why druids began to think they were source of incredible power and they're eternal and immortal and because they do live a long time and you can't tell they don't have rings in the same traditional sense but they're incredibly powerful this seed cedar of lebanon i, I believe i'd have to double check i'll get back to you about it but it was in, extraordinary i mean the smell was absolutely extraordinary 
and it was really loved by um ancient people for populations they used it a lot in medicine etc so i wonder if you get these oasis which are full of much more powerful um fighting sides well it also gets our, our listeners um you know thinking yeah pondering and thinking good. yeah get them out there sniffing and seeing because we have listeners in different parts of the world and it will be interesting to see what they are experiencing and what they think or feel. So uh, listeners, go out there and sniff Find and let us know yeah. from different climates. But if, do you think it's also, there's another thing, we think our woodlands are really brown and boring and whatever. And when you go in and you actually do that, but so you have this, mindset of so british woodlands are very brown this time of the year deciduous trees no leaves don't it's no point going in be muddy yucky whatever you go in it's not nothing like it's completely the opposite it's extraordinary so do we have images don't we as soon as you say oh hot countries somewhere like oh spain whatever well you go to spain you go to the alhambra it's 40 degrees but the woodlands there are absolutely stunning and extraordinary. It's not around, necessarily hot countries. Around. I think it's dry climates where they but, have a lot of drought, where they don't have a lot of rain. But you can have a mindset that there's some, that, oh, they're not going to be anything. There's not a lot going on. Nature's going to be a bit diminished there. And actually, when you go there, it's not as exciting and it's invigorating and it's extraordinary. It's I've different. forgotten mm. about the woodlands in Spain. I'd forgotten about the quantity of nature that can be there because in my mind says oh it's all going to be like a desert isn't it down there it's all so hot and it's whatever and it's nothing like that once you get there um so i think yeah we need to talk about what are the treasures where we see them and move away perhaps from some of the mindsets yeah so hannah was telling me no 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 if you come out here you'll be quite surprised how dynamic and extraordinary the landscapes are here and they vary over the months but I, I i believe she said i think actually it's right this is where the forest bathing which is where we all uh, it, it's a bit of a misnomer it's nature bathing really it's going out into those that matter to you and are your spaces um and you might find there's fewer fight and side producing plants but what they are producing is extraordinarily powerful maybe that's a question it's where then the mindfulness element to me comes in it's the observation it's the you know, being present outdoors in whatever nature we have around like even in here in the czech republic we now have layers of snow but yet we still have some evergreen trees that will be green or that used to be, you know, lush and green during the spring and summer are now covered in snow and they're brown and white, but yet is the surrounded by nature and, you know, exploring whatever that we have. Because as humankind, we do live around the whole world quite successfully thriving in different yeah. kinds of climates. So there has to be something that sustains us in yeah. any kind of an environment. But to me, it's then all about the mindfulness, the paying attention to details, to observing and just immersing ourselves and you know, using all our senses into whatever it is that we have available. 
Norway, where I've been to Norway in the winter, and it's just extraordinary. And I would, you'd sit there and go, well, a lot of the trees, are, you know, they're just white, you know, white trees, literally. Um, it's just stunning. Well, who wouldn't want to spend time there? Who wouldn't feel better having gone? I Yeah, I mean, who, who wouldn't feel better? And then you'd find school groups heading out with loads of teenagers up out into those the wilds of Norway. It's just extraordinary. And you'd look at that time and you say, oh, no, surely it would be a lot better to be there when it's um, light. <laughs> no, no, it's extraordinary, beautiful. And the water and the way and the mirror imaging and the ice. Now I, I would, there's got to be huge, well, we settled. There must be massive benefits being in all of these dynamic environments. And part of the reason why we're called Hawk and Heath is it's this idea of connecting to your locality. So if you live in and around the Yorkshire, Yorkshire sort of dales and moors where I live, then the, the phrase Hawk and Heath, it kind of sums up that landscape. It's lots of heathland and we're surrounded by red kites and hawks all, all the time. So that's why that. So the idea would be it, we've always encourage people is to think about well how in a couple of words would you describe where you live so your connection point so for me the phrase hawk and heath conjures landscape images that are very treasured to me because they're where i live wherever i am in the world hawk and heath conjures up image landscape images so whether it's dry stone wall and sheep, whatever it is, um, sand and upside down trees. I mean, it, that image is, I think, and that's the key element, is that images can even conjure up those positive parasympathetic triggers. Those They calm you and they think you because you've got, they are images you own of your place. And having an idea of your place is incredibly important. And I th I'm comfortable you could talk to anyone, even Bedouins, and they would say, right, yeah, because whoa, wherever I am, if I'm in the city, I have to be there. I bet, you know, sand and oasis would conjure up an image for them or their choice, not mine, their choices of imagery absolutely would then bring that calmness wherever they happen to find themselves. So I can think Hawk and Heath and I'm in the middle of London and it's, I don't know why anyone wants to live there. Anyway, Hawk and Heath, that sort of, whoa, and you got all the buses and the noise and the whatever, Hawk and Heath triggers a parasympathetic response. So language, imagery, the way you describe things that matter to you, that are treasures to you, in terms of nature, also has that same um, neuro neurological impact, and that that makes that makes total sense. And uh, I mean, this is such a, a fascinating topic, and I think we we've, we've sh shared a, a lot of questions out there for for our listeners to to think about and and to mull over. But one thing that we we always ask of our guests is. Have you got a final sort of nuggets that you'd like to share, or is there something we haven't asked yet that you're just thinking I I, want, I need to share this information, 
or do you have some top tips on how we can do the fast bathing? This is your space now to to share those last little bits of teacher nuggets that we can get out of you <laughs> before we we wrap teacher up. Teacher nuggets, <laughs> just just something that that's coming to you to your mind now. Hmm. I've I've always. Whenever I'm talking to people about all of this, this is it's so important because I'm talking to you and the, the wonders of technology. I don't actually know where you are in the world and you may come from Suffolk, but actually you're in New York at the moment or wherever Lenker is in the world. We can be all over so you can talk to different people. But I always talk, it's so important to begin to understand where are those green spaces, where are those places of nature that you can connect with? And to conjure up an image in your mind of somewhere that's very close to your home, that you love, you treasure, you can now, if you just paused a moment, you can picture it. So where would you go and stand? What would you see? What would it look like? What would it feel like? Where is that place near to your home? Wherever you happen to work, and for a lot of people, it can be both now, isn't it? The hybrid working, but wherever you tend to work or travel to in order to work, again, there again, do some research, find green spaces. You'll be amazed, even if you're in the middle of a city. So I just said about London, but actually, if you go on the top of a building to look across London, it's an extraordinarily green city. Wherever you are, in London, Birmingham, Manchester, Istanbul, wherever, you walk out, you can find a green space. You can find a tree to go and sit under. You can go and find a thing in Woodlands Trust for the UK. There must be equivalents. You can even go on there and find ancient trees near to wherever you are. So if you want to go and sit under an ancient tree, you can find one if you can normally they will there'll be one near you so you've got somewhere where you can instantly even now on on your zoom or if you wherever you are driving in the car where wherever you're thinking now somewhere you could go to regularly safely every single day near to your home near to work and then have a think that if you had that ability to always go and travel to somewhere a bit further away that is that more traditional woodland, where would that be? And where would you go to be? Where would you go to sit? What would you go? Instantly now, I'm actually having a few flickering images myself of places I could go. So I do this all the time, but it still happens to me. And um, I have these kind of safe places in my mind all the time, but these are places I'd go to. Um, and there's a lot that, firstly, these are places you should be connecting to and engaging with as regularly as possible, mindfully breathe through your nose and spend that time with them. Hopefully up to 30 minutes a day. You can split it up, but it accumulates. The magic, two hours a week. But also the fact that you've just gone through that process now at this moment will have been calming. So even when you're sat in that meeting and everyone's shouting at each other, if you can picture in your mind's eye really clearly, and that is that point. And if you can't, find some and do it. So that even when you're sat in that meeting, 
with people shouting and it's all arguing and there's no no resolution coming along you've got that space you can immediately picture and it has a phenomenal impact on your nervous system keep breathing keep thinking of those places and they're stunning as we connect to those places there's much bigger story that can then come from that because i think that reconnects us to the world and if we can re reconnect to the earth we can start thinking about terraforming it which i mentioned earlier these different acts of kindness you can do to these places the litter collecting there will be people that meet there to look after those spaces so join them every so often and do a little bit once or twice a year that little bit of payback all the time to the world and that reconnects us to the planet and if we then want to nurture it and improve it and it all uh, you know that's where we can then engage to do that a lot of the issues that we face in this world actually the answers are already there and you can conjure them now and if you can sit and you can feel it then that's good for you it's good for your family good for your community and ultimately good for the planet and that is is well worth the the nuggets those those really really good advice good tips and something that is practical and that everybody we can all start to do if we haven't already and so thank you so much for that that makes a lot of sense simple tools i love simple tools because simple mm. is they work so how can people find you they're now thinking wow i need to speak to robert to find out a bit more about how can i go about this so how can people find you now hawk and heath we have a website hawkandheath.co.uk hawk and heath is also on instagram i will promise you we're going to have videos all about spaces that are predominantly brown and how good they are for you because our aim within our hawk and heath instagram you'll begin to see we're trying to spread where we are working we're talking to lots of other guides all these people there's so many people out there with real sort of nature connection and we're beginning to talk to them. So hawkandheath.co.uk, you'll begin to get from our website a concept of what where we're all going. Just put Hawk and Heath on your app store. You can download it, have a look at it. You'll see the free content. Hopefully you'll like it. Hawkandheath.co.uk, Hawk and Heath on Instagram, Hawk and Heath app, and then one more, Hawk and Heath tiktok we do fun things we've got an etsy shop as well and i know there's the big teacher thing coming out where we've got loads of pdfs and stuff and we're adding to it on so yeah we would love to talk thank you so much for your time yes. for your energy for your wisdom your knowledge and yeah i'm sure we'll be having you on it again in the future to see where you at what's happening any yes. new things happening in the forest bathing world but thank you so much we really appreciate it and for our listeners if there's any questions that you have or what experiences have you had with nature whether you in a cold climate where it's snow and frosty or dry climate where it's brown and sandy and anything in between 
what what experiences have you had we would love to hear your thoughts and your thoughts on forest braving whether you do it or it's something new for you share with us in the comments and let us know how you get on and until next time we'll chat to you soon thank you so much bye if you enjoyed listening to our conversation please share it with your friends and colleagues and don't forget to subscribe we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and write a short review.